Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. Well, there's one who stood out in front of the embassy and demonstrated to get genocide announced. And, and, I have you to know, thank I you for only doing one, that. I have to thank I you for doing it. I was the only it. one who did it. That's right. Until when the ICC indicted President right. Bashir. Well, I, got, I haven't personally thanked you. <laughs> we went to jail a couple of times. Not you and I, but <laughs> a couple I've of times. I've almost gone to jail a couple of times. <laughs> that, that, that is, you know, I got to tell you, it brings a smile to my face. We were in South Sudan, the first time I've ever experienced the birth of a nation. Sherry was with me. We had been there during the Civil War and involved in some of the atrocities in Darfur and throughout South Sudan. And uh, Colin Powell was there, and, you know, it was just, you know, uh, Bill Cohen, thank you for coming on. There's, There's something interesting about an individual who accomplished so much, um, both militarily and politically, and, and, and then, you know, to have that kind of lighthearted conversation, at, you know, <laughs> at, with him. Um, and you understand what I'm trying to say? It, I mean, it, it says something about somebody who is, as I, we in, in my generation, who is heavy as Colin Powell was. He, he was heavy. <laughs> he, he was, was heavy, heavy as a human being. Yes. Uh, if you look at his, uh, uh, the scope of his, his accomplishments in virtually everything he tried, except maybe softball, baseball, or I think there was one other sport that he said he wasn't very good at. Anything else that he tried, he excelled at. And, you know, uh, he was an exceptional man. Uh, and you and I both know him as a good friend. Uh, and going back, I stayed up last night. I got home late last night, and I decided to stay up. And I went you know, browsing through his um, my personal journey. And it's amazing when you think about what he had to go through to achieve, what every black person goes through in this country. And what's, what's still amazing is you and I and your listeners are living. We're living in the uh, the first quarter uh, of the 21st century. And we still are amazed when we say the first black national security advisor, yeah. the first black chairman of the Joint Chiefs, the first black secretary of state. And you say, why was he, why was he the first? There are so many in the line of, of, of uh, black men and women who were exceptional, but they never got the chance. And I was looking through uh, Colin's book last night, or about three this morning, and uh, he talked about when he uh, he was born in New York City, right. but when he joined the army, he went down to Fort Benning in Georgia. And when he stepped off the base, he said that's when he really encountered racism. He could go into Woolworths, uh, but he couldn't uh, eat at the lunch counter. He could go into a clothing store, but he couldn't go into the men's room. He could walk down the street, but he couldn't look at a white woman. You start thinking about all that he had to go through, and he and he said, I wasn't going to let it bother me. If racism was there to be sure, but I wasn't going to let them define who I was, that I was somehow in, inferior. He said, if I only have half of the, uh, of the football field to play on, I'll be the best on that half. Uh, and the attitude was, I'm going to show you. 
And boy, he did show us in every way in terms of his his wisdom, judgment, insight, uh, and leadership. And when he said leadership, basically uh, is um, resolving problems. If people don't come to you with problems, they don't trust you. Uh, so he wanted to make sure that he dealt with every problem that was uh, presented to him. And as a result, you know, he uh, has paved the way for so many people. I've been watching on uh, television, co- television coverage. So many people look to him uh, as uh, a model, uh, as a real role model and someone mm-hmm. that said, hey, if he can do it, look what he has done. Yeah. And you and I also know another great, exceptional uh, black man, Clifford Alexander. Yep. Clifford Alexander oh, yeah. was the first black secretary yeah. of the Army, Army. Yeah. who paved the way and said there are not enough black officers being promoted. Yep. Uh, and he actually helped pave the way for a Colin Powell. Uh, and so uh, it's the history of this country being revealed if we needed any revelation about how discrimination, how racism, how bigotry has really held back people of great talent. Um, my wife, Janet, met, and I met him as well, but she was interviewing General Benjamin O. Davis, Jr. Oh, after he yeah, got his fourth yes. war. Right, right. And I've, the story I've had the pleasure. of he went yeah. to West and Point. what's his story? Right. Well, he went to West Point, as did his father. Right. But uh, uh, Benjamin O. Davis uh, was treated at West Point. No one talked to him for the entire four years. No one, uh, either his colleagues or his uh, superior officers, were allowed to talk to him. So he lived in silence, uh, except when there was a command given to him for four years. And yet he became one of the Tuskegee Airmen. He uh, became a four-star general in the Air Force and a role model for so many others. So you go down through the history. I don't. You think you met um, uh, Colonel Dryden? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Another Tuskegee Airman, Charles right. Dryden, and he uh, had the, his nickname was A Train, and he wrote a book about A Train. Uh, and what he said was uh, he he had to fight two wars. While he was over there engaged in the bombing of the enemy, uh, he was thinking about his son back in New Jersey who wasn't, who wasn't being allowed to participate in the school lunch program because he was black. And so those who served then felt they came back and they had a, a two victory signs on their, on their shirts or lapels. And the double V uh, was victory over the, the Germans. Uh, the Nazis, I should say, and and the Japanese, and victory here at home. And that victory has yet to be um, fully achieved because it's still going on. Can I also bring up something else? And and that is one of my favorite poems is Kipling's um, uh, poem, If. I think that's the name of it. That's the other thing. These men and and women, too, of course, the common touch. Would you would you agree that that was also one of Colin Powell's uh, attributes? I mean, when I I, I got to tell you, when I first had to interact with him, I'm I'm starstruck. I'm going, well, I can't mess up (laughs) because I mean, because here's all the things you said he became. Uh, but then there, you, you end up immediately relaxing around him right? because well, well, he just had that common touch. So a lot of people in positions of power 
don't always accomplish that. And I always think about Kipling's uh, poem, If. Yeah. Well, you know, he had a habit with me. We uh, we used we were friends when I was on the Hill in the Senate and always okay. used to joust with him. Uh, I would quote some obscure uh, passage from uh, from one of the Greek tragedies or from the, the oration of Pericles or something obscure. And he would wait for me the next time he came to testify. He would cite something from Thucydides. Which I had never heard of. <laughs> heard so of. I was about ready to say who. <laughs> <laughs> he was always, uh, you know, playful. Uh, he was always right. there to kind of tease. And every time we got together, he'd say, "Okay, Cohen, give me some gossip. Come on, tell me what's going on." And it would be uh, what was going on on the Hill, what was going on in the Defense Department. But it was always one of those light-hearted comments. Not, not uh, he was not coming up and, and asking for a report. Say what's happening. And uh, he had that touch, and he made sure that he had that touch with all of those who served, white and black, but they felt that Colin Powell, again, a real human being. Uh, they knew he was strict. They knew he had a commanding presence. Uh, they knew how smart he was, but they knew how human he was, and that makes a difference. You can be a great officer, but not necessarily a great human being, Yeah, and he was both. And And then the other question I have, and and that is somebody who grew up in the Bronx. I mean, he wasn't, uh, it, you know, versus, let's say, I think about history like a Roosevelt. A Roosevelt was groomed to be what he became. Right. Um, they, you know, he didn't grow up in the Bronx to be groomed to be the uh, a, a four-star general or a first secretary of state. Where does this come from? Does it come from experience? Does it come from people you interact with? Where does it come from? There aren't classes taught uh, that you know that, that one learns to be Secretary of State. Uh, well, there's something that uh, we talk about here at home, uh, and that's some people are born with a holy spark. There is something, a spark that you see in that individual from the time he or she made their first cry. Uh, Colin was one of them. The second thing is, if you look at the history of black people in this nation, uh, my Janet always saying, how do they do it? How do they survive? How do they get through this history and all they had to endure, never being allowed to read or write, and then told they were too dumb to learn to read or write? Uh, just the the savagery involved with the whole concept passed down to this day where if you've got a broken taillight, that's a ticket to the morgue. Uh, when someone storms the Capitol, uh, they uh, get a vacation in Mexico pending trial. So it goes on to this day, but it just makes you uh, amazed at the strength, the perseverance, the determination to say, I'll play on this half of the field, but I'll be the best on this half of the field. You, c you can't teach that. Uh, no. You can. That's the fire inside. That's uh, what makes the exceptional people exceptional. It's that desire to say, I am here, uh, I am proud, uh, and I can prove it. I can show you. I can show you that I'm, I'm that good. And that's the story of Colin. And, you know, there are, there are a lot of very, very talented uh, black people out there. If you start going, you've got a president of the United States, a current vice president of the United States. You go down the list of accomplishments uh, in, the, in our lifetime, and you say, how do they do it? Given all of the uh, yeah. the obstacles, all of the obstructions, all of the discrimination, how did they overcome? How did our parents and grandparents get through this? Because Colin, you know, we're roughly the same age, 
uh, and we grew up the same time. But I had something he didn't. What I had was privilege. That? I had my skin was my ticket to uh, privileges that he and you and most black people, I'd say almost everyone, never had. And we don't like to talk about it, saying, what privilege? What is it? Well, I don't have to worry but when I'm behind the wheel of a car. I don't have to worry that someone's going to follow me through a, uh, a uh, clothing store. I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm going to be pulled over for a lack of a, a turning signal. I mean, these are things that we just take for granted. Uh, and no black person dares because they know it could be a life sentence. So and what? In a death sentence. Even though I know we're talking about, and, and, and you have quite honestly eulogized Colin Powell in a way that he certainly deserves to be eulogized, but I will turn to you because I know my audience, and they're listening, and they're saying, wait, wait, wait a minute, how did Bill Cohen become so enlightened? As it relates to race relationships, uh, come on, man. You grew, look. You were, you grew up in one of the whitest states in the country. I, now I can say that because my folks are from Maine. My ancestors are from Maine. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what? At what point did did lightning strike with you, for lack of a better analogy? Well, you know, it's really, uh, that too is funny because my own background was somewhat, uh, no, it wasn't somewhat, it was mixed. Uh, my dad crossed a color line of his own. My dad was Jewish. My mother was Irish. That was, uh, that was a no-no back when they got married. That was looked upon, it was frowned upon by both sides for, uh, cross the ethnic uh, religious line for both parties, my mom and, and dad. And so he, um, he was a great athlete in his time, and he loved to take me to basketball games. And there was one player I fell in love with as a five- or six-year-old, and he was the only black ball player on the, uh, the high school team. And he was the one I watched. And then I uh, started practicing, and I, I joined the YMCA, the Young Men's Christian Association, as a, a guy named Cohen. And then I got good enough. I used to go out to the Dow Air Force Base, which was yeah. a big uh, strategic air command in Bangor. Uh, and uh, the black ball players out there let me play with them. Uh, I was the only white guy they let on the team. And so I, I learned early uh, that to treat people, whatever their color, as, as human beings. And then when I went to uh, college, uh, I met a, a man who was a shark, a pool shark. And my dad was uh, quite a pool player. And I said, I'm going to bring my friend home to meet my father and have them play a game. Well, I went to Bowdoin College, which is about three hours uh, away from my, from my home. And I had to hitchhike home uh, every weekend. And so usually I got within a ride, probably within 10 minutes at the most, hitchhiking. But I had uh, Ed, my friend, and three hours went by and no one picked us up. He then went and hid behind a tree until a car stopped for me, and then he would come out and try to get in the car, and the car would pull off. So it took us an entire afternoon to go 30 miles. Uh, it was a long way from getting home. It's a long story, but that was a reinforcement for me at a really young age to say, what the hell goes uh, with this country of ours that they would not give the two of us a ride home? And that's in Maine. 
<laughs> you know, there are no, uh, quote, racial problems in Maine. There was, there was no, quote, uh, uh, overt racism, none, whites here, blacks here, none of that, but it was ingrained. Yeah. And that's why you say that racism is not uh, it's not for the South. It's not geographically defined. Yeah. It's yeah. as deep in Maine as it is in California. Yeah. So yeah. The, the, here comes uh, Colin Powell and saying, I'm going to be the best that I can be at. And whatever turf you're going to give me, I'm going to be the best I can be. And I'll show you. And he did. And so that's why he is so, I would say, idolized um, by black community, but by white people. To say, my goodness, how did he get to do all of these things? Because he was allowed to. He he persevered. He said, I'm not going to let you define me. It may it's, You may think I, I'm this way. I know who I am, and you're not going to define me by your bigotry and racism. I'll show you. So uh, that's why I think he's receiving the accolades uh, he is today and for his presence and the fact that he was so relied upon by so many leaders. Uh, and, yes, he made a mistake. But he made a mistake based on faulty or almost false intelligence. And I can say I can identify with that. I was given false intelligence uh, in in terms of a bombing mission in Yemen. And uh, I was told by the intelligence community, slam dunk, no problem. This is a a chemical weapons producing plant. Well, it turned out to be a pharmaceutical plant. But it was based on slam dunk uh, uh, intelligence given to me to say this is a target we have to hit, and it was a, it was the wrong target. So you know I understand uh, what the mistake that uh, that was made there, and he took the blame for it. This is another Powell rule, you know. You break it, you own it. Uh, you make a mistake, you own up to it. You don't pass it on and blame it on somebody else. And he never once blamed it on anyone else in terms of that presentation to the United Nations Security yeah. Council. Yeah, and so. the, the final, uh, and I know you've heard this a lot, uh, we've both been up watching, and he was what they call a reluctant warrior. Yeah. Uh, and <clears throat> I read something that just stuck with me this morning, that you, and you know this is former Secretary of Defense, when you go into a war, I, I assume this is still true, there is no guarantee what the outcome is. Is is that accurate? Absolutely true. Uh, that's why uh, he always said, uh, you know, number one, have a very clear mission on what you're asking these young men and women to commit to because people are going to die. Make sure it is clearly defined. Make sure you have public support. Make sure you have overwhelming support. And make sure you have an exit strategy. Other than that, do not go to war. And because he and all of the others who have served in that capacity uh, have had to, um, uh, you know, go to the funerals of the, of the young men and women coming home. And that's that's a sad, sad duty, I can tell you. And so, yeah, he was a reluctant warrior. In fact, when I went to the Pentagon, I, I read a book by Richard Haas, who is uh, the head of the um, Foreign uh, Affairs magazine. It was, called the Rock, Reluct- it was a book called The Reluctant Sheriff. And I used that. I put that book right on my uh, my shelf, the George Marshall portrait right, right uh, over it, saying I wanted to be a reluctant sheriff and use military force only when it was absolutely necessary. Yeah. Because you go out there and you visit with these young, they're kids. They're 18 and 19 and 20 and 21. And they're putting their lives on the line. They're willing to risk dying for this country. You'd be damn well better be sure uh, they have a mission to be completed that's worth risking their lives. So 
the Powell Doctrine, I think, uh, will live on. I'm afraid it wasn't always followed. But that's uh, that's the reason he was a reluctant warrior, because he had to pick up some of the bodies of the, of the, the kids that he was working with who were uh, not much uh, younger than he was. So, yeah, anyone who's had to uh, bury their friends who were killed in battle, they know what the uh, the horrors of war are, yeah. and they are the most reluctant to go to war. And that's People don't like to believe that and say, well, why are they training for war? Because they won't have to go to war, that's why. Yeah. Uh, that's That's the reason they're doing it. Um, anyway, I could uh, carry on about this, Joe, but I don't want no, to go that, Well, that's that. why, I, I, you know, of all the interviews I've heard and seen, and, and I said, no, the one I want to hear from is uh, Bill Cohen. Uh, and th- No, thank you, and, and uh, uh, I, I so appreciate you taking the time uh, to, to do Let this. Let me tell you one other story, Joe. Uh, yes. Cohen and I were fortunate enough to know a wealthy individual who was lived in, uh, did business in London, but had a place on the south of France. I had never been, you know, barely to South Portland in Maine, but uh, he invited us to come over and visit with him. And Colin uh, and Alma and Janet and I went over and we spent a weekend. And it was amazing to see wherever we went, the crowd just surged toward Colin. Yeah, uh, he was. You know, uh, you, yeah. you would not pick him out. He was dressed casually. He was right, with us right. in a group. It was just the tipping of the floor. Everywhere he walked into, people came over. Uh, they were French. They were Italian. They were from Hungary. They were from everywhere. Uh, and they said, "This Colin Powell," and they came over. And of course, wanted uh, uh, signatures and. Uh, it was an amazing sight to say. I'd say, hey, what about me? <laughs> and you were in the presence of a giant. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but, you know, what? It, I mean, it, it, it reminds me of something Muhammad Ali once told somebody. Um, look, it, <clears throat> but if, if you were on one side of the street and I was on the other side of the street, how many folks you think would come over where I am versus where you are? <laughs> but, but, but you know what? Think about that. You go from being born in the what the the Bronx to having that kind of admiration globally. You you, you know what? It goes back to the point you've made. You never you never know what what is in store for you as a human being. Never underestimate anybody. You never know how high someone can soar. Can soar until you let them. That's right. That's right. Hey, thank you. The All best right, to Joe. your your wife. I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm telling you, I, I'm, I, I'm laughing. I'm just, I, I just, I wish this COVID thing is over, so we all can get together and just. Yeah, tell we're looking forward stories. to it. You tell Sherry that Janet and I love her and you. We're, we're thanking and the, and we send the love uh, back. And I say this with sincerity. Sorry that you've lost a, a, a very close friend and that the world has lost a sincere leader. Thank no, you so sorry much. Sorry that we, you and I, we lost a very good friend yeah. and that the world has. You can listen to yours truly, Madison, the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app. 